you know, 15 years ago, I was an, a student and an intern. And now I'm in a position where I can make changes or help to make changes for people in the great state of New York. It's one of the most humbling feelings ever, Nathan. It is my dream job, aside from point guard for the Knicks or center fielder for the Mets. <laughs> and, you know, but um, no, but it's, I, I love my job. I love my awesome. constituents and I, and I love this opportunity that I've been given. You just heard a little bit of my conversation with State Senator Jamal Bailey. State Senator Bailey uh, is down to earth, a very cool guy, but also very policy focused. We cover a wide array of topics. I had a lot of fun recording this interview. We talk about criminal justice reform, discovery reform, rent reform, and then we get a little bit more into his background, his values, what inspired him to get into public service. If you enjoyed this interview, which I think you will, find us on iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, give us five stars. It helps helps people find us. And then check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash millenpolitics, where we have a very special behind-the-scenes interview with State Senator Bailey. So without further ado, here is my interview with State Senator Bailey. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and today I'm joined by State Senator Jamal Bailey. Uh, Senator Bailey represents the 36th Senate District in New York. Senator, thank you so much for joining me today. Nathan, thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be up here today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you. So um, let's dive right into it. The New York State Senate has been very busy this session. It's first time it's been in Democratic control for, I think, a couple of decades, is that right? Well, it's for about 10 years. It, it, okay. The last time the Democrats were in majority was around 08, 09. That was unfortunately short-lived, but now we're in a much stronger position. We have incredibly strong leadership and in, in, in a bench of senators, 39 deep, ready to go and get the, get the business of the people of the state of New York done. So it's an exciting time. To and and you guys Senate. have been busy because there is a Democratic trifecta and there was such a, a backlog of progressive legislation. Um, talk a little bit about, about some of the bills that you've already passed. It's, it's really exciting for me to walk into session. You know, on the first day that we're passing bills, we're passing voter reform. Um, you Literally have, on day one. Day one, Senator Zelno Amari, uh, 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 a gentleman I've known for, for, for quite a while, and it's somebody that's making his mark on, on, on government in a great way, he stepped in immediately, debated an experienced legislator on the other side of, of the aisle in, in, in Kathy Young, and, and Senator Myrie knew everything about the bills that he was passing. He knew everything about... The, the election law that he was speaking of. And it was, I think it was a, a sign to show what would come, that if on day one we're starting out this strong, this ready with a brand new member of the New York State Senate, it's a great time. It's a great time to be alive and a great time to be in the State Senate. In, in that law that was passed on election reform, talk a little bit about that. So you merged the state and federal primary date, but there was also some other components to it? Sure. There were a couple of things that we, that, that we, that we got done. One was the, to, mer- to consolidate the primaries. For far too long, we had voters that were quite confused. You had a June primary. It was confusing. Very much so. And, 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 when, you're, and when you're trying to advocate and tell people to go vote, hey, go vote. I told you to go vote in, in June. And I got to tell you to go vote in September. Well, didn't you just tell me to go vote? Right, right. So now we have one primary, one primary in June, and that, that's exciting. We've consolidated the federal and state primaries, but we also got early voting. Um, mm-hmm. Nathan, it's it's rather 
it was rather sad that New York State, uh, a state that is the Empire State, a state that I'm proud to be from, I consider to be a leader in so many areas. In industry. Typically thought of as a progressive bastion of policy, but we didn't have early voting. Uh, that's that's the difference a majority makes. Yeah, uh, it, It's so arcane to think that on one arbitrary day in November that, or, or, or in June, that you, everybody in the populace, everybody in, 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 the, uh, in the state of New York has the time and the ability to go vote on one day. It would be nice if that happened, but mm. as economies change, as things change, we have to be reflexive with the time. We have to change with the times or be changed by them. Mm. So we finally had to change in the state of New York concerning voter vote, early voting. And finally, we're going to get time for people prior to election day to go vote it's been a success in other states, and I'm I'm happy that we're finally on board the, the on board the right train to get people to be able to vote sooner rather than later, which will, in my mind, encourage more people to be part of the process, which is what we all want. I agree, I agree, and we do all want that. And in addition to election reform, I believe there was also um, uh, protections for LGBTQ youth was passed as part of some of the early bills there, as well as uh, a women equality bill was passed. Can you talk a little bit about those two? Incredible um, leadership by Senator Brad. Hoyman, uh, banning conversion therapy. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know how people could think that you could subject a young person to something called conversion therapy to change them from being LGBTQ to not. People are who they are. We love them for who they are. And finally, the New York State Senate is standing up for people who are in the LGBTQ community. And it's an exciting time for that to happen. It's Really exciting also to have finally passed the RHA. Mm. A woman's right to choose is a woman's right to choose. And that's the Reproductive Health Act. Yes, sir. I, sometimes I tend to I tend to use the the industry acronyms. No, and thank that's you quite for all right. Me, Nathan. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we want to make sure everybody's understanding the Reproductive Health Act, um, which was sponsored by uh, Senator Kruger and, and so many other senators in the in, in the state senate, which was monumental. Um, we don't know what's going to happen at the federal level, and as a state, we have to make sure that we are. A stopping point for anything negative that could come out of the Trump presidency that can come out of Washington right now. So we have to make sure that before you roll back Roe v. Wade, before you think about taking away a woman's right to choose that in the state of New York, in the state Senate led by a historic majority leader, Nadia Stewart Cousins, that we are protecting women's rights. We are protecting a woman's right to choose. And it's I, I'm it's, it's so different being here in the majority than the two years I, I spent mm. on the other side of the aisle, being able to actually get things done for your constituency and, 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 and for those that you'll never meet in other constituencies is a great and humbling feat, you know, that we've accomplished. And I'm, I'm truly excited about it. This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. So part of the next step here is expanding on already good legislation. Um, what comes next? What are you working on now? You just passed all of those historic bills up front. You worked on the budget. There were some pretty big reforms in the budget. Can you talk a little bit about that work? There? Absolutely. Um, I, was, I am lucky enough to be the chair of the Codes Committee, which deals um, with the criminal justice reforms that New York State has sorely needed. Um, 
when I got to the state senate, the very first bill I introduced was a bill to reform our discovery statutes. Mm-hmm. Um, discovery is essentially the the ev- the exchange of evidence. So, for example, in a civil matter, when you are suing an individual for a monetary damage, discovery is plentiful. It comes very quickly, and it comes sooner rather than later. But in a criminal matter, where you have an, uh, an accused criminal defendant, I should say, until we pass these landmark reforms. A prosecutor could hold on to the evidence in many cases, essentially until the eve of trial. Hmm. We've changed that in New York State. In, in New York State, finally, where you, 15 days post arraignment, whatever the prosecutors have in their possession, they have to give it to the defense attorney. Now there are some exceptions. Again, we're we're, we're not trying to make it defense friendly. We don't. We didn't want it to be prosecutor friendly. What we want it to be is fair. The criminal justice system is excuse me, should be, hmm. and is, is predicated upon the idea of fairness. But unfortunately, in New York State, in New York City, and so many other places... In the United in, States. In the United States, that seems to escape us. And, and if we're being clear, and if we're going to be frank, it seems to escape us around people of color. Hmm. And so the criminal justice system has over-policed people of color. It has over-incarcerated people of color. It has created mass incarceration, which primarily has happened to people of color. So in New York State, finally, we have a majority of people, not just the people of color, people who understand what's right. 39 people who understand that this is the right thing to do. And we finally were able to change the laws. Um, Bail reform. Somebody should not be in jail solely based upon their ability to pay or not to pay. Or their inability to pay. Yes, the inability to pay. And this coupled with discovery form, I mean, these were two big sticking points. And just to kind of connect the dots, say, for example, someone is hypothetically arrested. If they can't afford to pay bail, they're sitting in jail waiting for trial. And because of discovery, they don't know what evidence is gathered against them. This could be for six months, a year, two years even because of any kind of backlog that's happening in the court system. And all this time, they're getting pressure to plead guilty, plead guilty, plead guilty. It'll get you out. You won't have to deal with it anymore. But in reality, once they are out of jail, they'll have that guilty always against them. So pairing discovery and bail reform, it was so necessary. Talk a little bit more about the bail reforms that you've made in the state Senate. So the bail reforms that most the majority of misdemeanors, except for certain certain crimes such as sex crimes, um, and nonviolent felonies, effective January first, twenty twenty, there will be no bail on hmm. those on those on those crimes. There are there is a section of more serious felonies, or more violent felonies, and, yeah. and, and more serious crimes where the, the the prosecutor would have the latitude to you know to, to request bail. But by and large, when we're talking about our justice system, and we're talking about the reason that you mentioned people sit languishing in jail for six months and years, like Khalif Browder, sure, who sits on Horrible. Rikers Island for in solitary uh, confinement, in solitary confinement, which is something that we have to remedy. Yeah, yeah. And, and we can talk about that in a little bit. We, you sit there for so long, and forget about the the money that it costs to incarcerate somebody that could be used in our school system. Let's forget about that. Think about the human capital. Think about hmm. the mental anguish that one goes through while sitting in a cell. I always tell the story that during my first year in Albany, we were snowed in and session was canceled in, in my hotel room. Um, the TV didn't work. I wasn't able to get food. The, the snow was up to the door. And I, and I felt I felt in prison. But the reality was I wasn't. Right. 
I'm free to leave. I'm free to walk out. I just, weather was the problem. Imagine if you are incarcerated, especially for something that you know in your heart that you didn't do. And you know you didn't do this. But you don't have enough money to pay to get out of jail. You don't have enough money to be able to put up a, a, a defense. Hmm. So you have to wait and wait and wait for your freedom. And in the case of Khalif Browder, it was very tragic. He, uh, he really suffered severe mental consequences as a result, and he ultimately uh, committed suicide. And, and his brother has started the Khalif Browder Foundation to raise awareness of, of uh, his and so many others' uh, experience in the, in the prison system. And it's, it's really terrible. So. And, 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 I, and I met with Akeem, his brother, um, actually just this past Tuesday up in Albany and being able to connect with him and see the work that his foundation is is doing and, and knowing that his brother did not die in vain mm. that for every Khalif Browder's name that we know there are so many people who have faced similar circumstances don't. that we don't know and will right. never meet and we don't hear their stories because some people don't have a powerful following they don't have a social media following they don't they don't have a microphone or platform but it is our job it is my job as an elected official to speak not just for people that come into my office but it's my job even more so to speak for people that I'll never meet and fight for them even harder than hmm. the people that come in, that know where my office is. Because if you don't know where my district office is, if you don't know where the phone number is, you should know that I'm fighting for you just the same, hmm. if not harder, because you need me and the other 38 of us in that room even more. And that's why elections matter. Elections have consequences. We've heard it over and over again, and they matter. The people that you elect to, in your in your Senate seats and your Assembly seats and your City Council and the governorships and the presidency and Up Congress. Up and down the ballot. Anywhere. Town clerk, no matter where you <laughs> live, if there is an election, you need to go. I don't even know if they elect dog, dog catches as, as, as the cliche goes, but if they do, you should vote you for them. You should vote for them. <laughs> so I think that's, it's, I, I agree. And, and I think part of um, democracy is is we need to make it more democratic. Um, if you don't mind, a, a pet issue of mine is fair elections sure. in, in campaign finance. And there was a big push as part of the budget process this year to try to get a public matching system in place at the New York State level, much like New York City has here. Um, I think the match now is eight to one in the city, and I think the proposed match at the state level was something like six to one, and there was some debate around it. Where do you stand on a public matching system, and what was your take on uh, that push during the budget process? I understand the need for a fair elections and, and, and campaign finances, and, I, and I, as I've said in other locations at the hearings that Senator Amari put on, that. I am a supporter of the concept of public matching, mm -hmm. but we have to get it done right. In New York City with the CFB, sometimes you have to literally go to a class and, and you have to know so many arcane different things and, and the it's candidate not can simple. be penal. It's not simple. So I, I think that we should that we should look into doing it. And there is, to your point, legal liability if you make a mistake or commit a fraud, as they would say, yes. uh, you could go to jail. You could be fined very heavily. And, 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 I, and I, you don't want somebody that's simply seeking to represent their community and um, a supporter of theirs who has decided to take on the, the, uh, the great task of being a treasurer sure. in, in this case. So I, I know that there are other, other public financing locations, uh, states that have it in Connecticut that, that, that they're looking into. I think that this needs to be examined. I think that we should look at 
not just the, the, the whether it's six to one or eight to one, whether it's in district or outside the district. We need to make sure that what we're doing, if we're going to be using public money to finance campaigns, that it has to be done right. My concern is 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 that we is that we finance public campaigns and that you have some individuals who will abuse the system. There 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 is an individual who who who, is, who run for office multiple times and was fined by the CFB for running a race for because this individual used multi, used public funds for things that were unrelated to the election. We can't root out corruption and we, we can't we can't we can't say the only reason why we shouldn't do something good is because of a, a one bad actor. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we should do it. We should look into it, but we have to make sure that we're doing it delicately. And and I think that when anytime we're use, using public money, we have to be very judicious in how we use it. So so you would not support the exact same program that New York City has at the New York State level? No, I, I think I think that we I think public financing is is fine, mm-hmm. I, but I think that we have to find a better way to do it, it. than the New York City uh, CFB has done. Okay. I, I just don't. Okay. I just think that there are certain ways to. We shouldn't make it difficult for people to qualify for um, not not so much the candidates, but for the treasurers to file the documentation and to file the paperwork. I, we we don't want people penalized for seeking office. That's okay. that's 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 my that's my essential my, that's no. assertion. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. When you think about criminal justice reform, you got to have the right people in office to make that criminal justice reform. How do you get the right people in office? You need a more democratic election system. So they're all interrelated. And I think, you know, another big reform that I know you're talking about right now, especially, are rent laws. Yes. Um, They're a little esoteric. They're a little obscure. Not many people are aware of the fact that there are even rent laws in New York. Can you kind of give a high-level overview of what the rent laws are right now, why it matters that they're expiring, and what reforms y'all are trying to make? Well, housing is a human right. Mm. It, it may not be legally codified as such, but in order for people to be able to succeed, you need somewhere to come back to. Right. We, need, we, have, a, we have a homelessness problem in, in the city of New York, in the state of New York as well, but specifically in the city of New York that is at record levels. Keeping people in their homes right now is paramount. We have to do everything we can to keep people in their homes. So we have to stop people from being priced out of their homes. Vacancy, decontrol, um, making sure that 
landlords can no longer get bonuses for doing um, for, for doing improvements that they say benefits an entire building, but it's something like a garden. So right, they, more so, cosmetic. Yeah, more cosmetic. So you put a big garden, and you put a big garden in, in, in an apartment building, and you can say that's a major capital improvement. And you can increase the rent by 10, and, and 15, can, 20%. And you can, you can increase the rent by a certain percentage, and you haven't improved the lives of your tenants. Mm. You haven't make, made sure that, that they have Nothing against water. gardens. No, nothing <laughs> against gardens. I, I, I love, I, I'm an urban farmer myself. <laughs> I, I'm teaching my daughters how to grow basil and, and, and a bunch of things in our little windowsill garden. Nothing against farming. Let me, I want to be very clear. Farm, how, how old are your daughters? My daughters are four and two. Um, and tr- trying to teach them, um, trying to teach them what's right and, 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 and what's not. And making sure people remain in their houses yeah. is something that's important. that's important. And, when you have landlords, and I, and I want to make sure that I don't want to paint anybody with a broad brush. Sure. There are many really good landlords. They are great landlords. My landlord is great. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's excellent. Anytime we need something done, she takes care of what, of what we need. I'm a renter myself. So this is something that is well, personal I think Well, I think if I was a landlord and I had a renter who was a state senator, I would take good care <laughs> of them too. Well, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, I hope that's not the, right. I hope that's not the, that's <laughs> right. not the only reason. I think that she, and, I, and, I, and you know, her other tenant, she takes care of it well, as well, who are not, I'm sure, I'm who are sure. not state senators. <laughs> but, you know, we want to make sure. But it, this is not an attack against landlords, just like criminal justice not. reform wasn't an attack against prosecutors. Sure. It's making sure people have safe and habitable places to live and that they're not priced out of what I consider to be the greatest city and the greatest state in the world because what, what's happening when if you can't afford to live somewhere I don't I don't know that that starts a, a cycle where your children are not going to do as well in school because they don't have a stable home if they're not going to do as well in school that that may lead them leave them to be unprotected about some of the yeah. societal ills that, that are happening so it's a it's a vicious cycle that starts with inadequate housing, and it's something that we have the opportunity to finally do with Democrats in the Assembly and in the Senate to finally make some changes and, and, and get these things done before the end of the year. So what, what are some of those changes that you're going to make um, again, or, that, or that you're looking to make? Again, ending you know, the, the MCIs, the major capital, the major capital improvements that, that I spoke about, Putting a leash on that, and, and, and so and just kind sh- of tightening that up a little. Bit. Making sure that if we are going to keep MCIs, yeah. you know, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that we are that we're going to keep them. Maybe maybe we should just get rid of them. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to keep them, we need to make sure that the the capital improvement that is actually made is of a benefit yeah. to the entire building, and that it's a tangible benefit. Mm-hmm. It that it's not something that again nothing nothing against gardens beautification but that doesn't affect but it's not a new water heater no, it's sir. not new AC not a, not not a new boiler not right. new windows yeah. and and. and, and we have to make sure that we're doing what's right by the people. Yeah, got it. Okay, cool. When when do those expire, and when do these June fifteenth? June fifteenth. Wow, it's coming June up. June fifteenth. It, it's it's coming up, and and we are having lots of conversations in our in, in our conference about about these rent laws, mm. about how important it is to make sure that we are understanding of we're not. So so Nathan, I I just want to step back for a second. We talk about the rent laws. We talk about housing. These are people who live in these dwellings. Right. These people have children, right? And uh, by and large, I just I just think that it's that gets lost actually in yes. a lot of the conversation because people don't because people look at policy without people. Yeah, 
you, you can't separate the two. They're inextricably intertwined. You, you have to make sure that when you are understanding a policy, how it will affect an individual. If you are able to allow landlords to jack the market rate rent up and then get to a point where, jack the rent up to a point where it's market rate and then you can jettison that tenant, that's affecting an entire economic ecosystem. That individual no longer has the discretionary income to send their child to summer camp if they can even afford to continue to pay that rent. Hmm. It, there are real life consequences to any time rent is raised in an unreasonable manner. And again, we're not talking about the good landlords, the one who actually the ones who are actually responsive. Right. We're talking about the people who don't do right by the people that they have a right to protect. Hmm. And those are the people that we need to go after and go after them with everything that we've got. Awesome. Um, we're coming up on time for this part of our interview. Sure. Uh, but for our listeners, check out our Patreon where we have another behind-the-scenes interview uh, coming up here shortly. Um, in the meantime, how can people follow your work? How could they get involved in the work that you're doing you want to plug a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, J-A-M-A-A-L-T-B-A-I-L-E-Y. Um, um, on Instagram is J-A-M-A-A-L-T-B-A-I-L-E-Y 36. And um, on Facebook, it's the same thing. Um, it's, it's Jamal T. Bailey. Um, I, I'm, I'm in the Bronx. Um, I represent the Bronx and Mount Vernon. I, I'm, I should have led with that. What oh, neighborhoods do you oh, represent? I, I proudly represent the Bronx and Mount Vernon. I'm, I, I've lived my whole life in my district. I used to actually go to the Wonder Bread store across the street from my district office and, get, <laughs> and buy fruit pies. So it's an amazing um, full circle moment. Mm. Anytime that I I go to my office and during this year's budget process, I was a university, I was a student at the University of Albany, and I was an intern um, in my senior year for now Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty. And when I interned for the speaker, I, I I never knew, I never imagined that I'd be able to be a legislator. And so it dawned upon me one night after a late night discussion about the criminal justice reform laws that we needed to get. It's about midnight or one o'clock and I'm driving to my hotel and I and I drive past University of Albany. And it was such a surreal feeling that, you know, 15 years ago, I was an, a student in an intern and now I'm in a position where I can make changes or help to make changes for people in the great state of New York. It's one of the most humbling feelings ever, Nathan. It is my dream job, aside from point guard for the Knicks or center fielder for the Mets. <laughs> and, you know. Um, we could talk more about talk your more aspirations about in the next one here. But, um, no, but it's, I, I love my job. I love my awesome. constituents, and I, and I love this opportunity that I've been given. Well, Senator, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Of course. And for our listeners, uh, make sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode. Follow us on social media at Melend Politics, and take care.